Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we're the Sales Enablement Insiders. Hello, Insider Nation. We have the last and maybe the most impactful panel of our series studying the future of sales enablement. Just as a brief reminder, on May 19th, we're having our executive briefing presenting all of our findings. Visit www.insidese.com to register for it. Again, insidese.com, register May 19th for our executive briefing of our findings. So the findings of what? As many of you know, we've conducted a survey of sales enablement practitioners. We were hoping to get 25 responses. We got 70. We now have 99 responses, actually. We got 70 within a week. There's no way one person can process all that information or even two. So we've created a guest analyst program and asked leading experts who've been doing this for quite some time to chime in on it. We have been doing several panels, so just as a review, our first panel was with sales enablement experts. The second panel that we ran was with sales leaders. The third panel that we ran was with sales practitioners who do not have a learning and development background. Our fourth panel was with sales enablement leaders who do have a learning and development background. Then we followed that up with our It's Academic (laughs) series or, or with our professors. And now finally, executive sponsors. So the people that we have here, I met and are, we're all part of the conference board. And what that is, is you can go listen to one of our earlier podcasts. We just, we talked about that before. What we've got here is an amazing panel of tremendous people. It's hard to describe our, all of our relationships when you're in a group or a leadership council where you're blending a lot of expertise, it's really, it's kind of hard to describe. So maybe we'll let, we'll let them do it, but I'm going to introduce them in order. So the first person that I'd like to introduce is Brian King. Brian King most recently was the SVP of Sales and A1 Operations at Intercontinental Hotels. Uh, one of the amazing things that we were able to do as affiliated to the conference board is we brought in a whole bunch of people who are business travelers to help simulate for the people at IHG what business travelers think of uh, with the goal of making Brian look really good while testing out his sales enablement plan. Uh, I've been really excited working with Brian. Brian is one of the most courageous people that I know, and I know a lot of courageous people. So if, if you get a chance to meet Brian or work with him or hire him or something, do it because not only, not only is he courageous and smart, but he's a great guy as well. Brian, would you like to introduce yourself to Insider Nation? Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's great to be with you. And hello, Insider Nation. Um, I look forward to the time we're going to spend together. One of my favorite topics, sales enablement. And I'm with a great group of guys on this podcast. So great to be here. Excellent. So up next, we have Samir Rapani, who is the SVP of Sales and Marketing at Solvay over here in, uh, in North America. This is 
one of the smartest guys in sales I know. He's a chemical engineer, and it's really fascinating to watch this man's brain work. He is definitely a what you see is what you get kind of guy. I really enjoy how authentic he is, and I really love how he publishes how he's thinking. It is, for me, easy to follow along. He has tremendous amount of energy. I can't wait for everybody to get to know him. Samir, introduce yourself to Insider Nation. Hey, Insider Nation. This is Samir. What's the most exciting, of course, for me is to reconnect with, uh, with you, Scott, and, of course, a great group of guys that uh, served on the Sales Executive Council alongside uh, myself and for us to learn and share experiences together. So here's one more go at the same and looking forward to it. Yeah, and hopefully we can keep this going. This is a fantastic team. And then finally, bringing up the rear uh, is uh, Greg Peelman. Greg Peelman is Vice President of Operations at Ecolabs. I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of Greg's style. One of the things that he has this great ability to do is to process a lot of information, and there's a lot of different ways to talk about it, and he just says it for what it is in the most plain-spoken, executable way, and it activates things moving forward. I think it's fantastic. I always get energized. I also love the kinds of pictures he shares with you at dinner. I got to make sure we qualify it. They're not. Well, I'll let him say. What, Greg, what are the kinds of pictures that you share with us at, at, at dinner? Why am I making this comment? Oh, thanks, Scott. And it's good to be with you today. And, and uh, I do work for Ecolab. I am the uh, VP of Operations for North America in our pest elimination division. So um, it's an exciting business. I've been with Ecolab a long time across a lot of international geographies with international postings, and of course, here in North America. So great to be with you today and uh, look forward to the discussion. So what about those pictures, though? What kind of pictures were you sharing with us at dinner? <laughs> well, I'll just say there are uh, maybe a few photos of, of different scenarios that, uh, you know, may, maybe you don't want to look at while you're eating dinner. And I, I happen to be in pest elimination. Of course, they're all anonymous. Uh, but you can imagine I can find myself in some pretty precarious positions occasionally. Yes, and uh, as the benefactor of some of those pictures while I'm trying to eat, it's, uh, they're, they're interesting, I'll tell you that. That's for sure. So starting off with, we do the same format for all of our panels. We ask the, the opening a question. So the, I'm going to go through the same kind of order. I'm going to first ask you, Brian. Having looked at the survey findings, what are a few things that stood out for you? Um, so for me, after going through the initial set of findings and reading through some of the, the feedback from the survey, what I found interesting was really that the data is starting to lean more toward, um, I'd say, an evolved understanding of what sales enablement is as a practice, as a discipline, than where it was about five, six, seven years ago when I first started to get involved with, with sales enablement. At the same time, you know, kind of counterpoint to that point, you can still see that there are folks who, you know, kind of believe, hey, sales enablement is really just sales training or it's just onboarding or um, it's only about sales transformation. While it's graduating in its understanding and probably the understanding of companies' value of, of the sales enablement practice, there's still a lot of work to be done uh, in terms of getting that value and that understanding kind of broadly accepted and understood. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. Samir, how about you? What were takeaways that stood out for you in looking at the survey findings? So the first one, and that's just literally just scanning through the data, is the fact that wherever you had two or more options, or if you had two options, you had a bimodal distribution. If you had more options, you had at least a trimodal. So 
What that tells me is there's still a fundamental lack of clarity around what sales enablement is and how it's supposed to actually operate. Is it supposed to be innovation or is it supposed to be operational excellence or, or commercial excellence? And I think when, you, when I look at the, the, the popular media today around the whole concept of sales development in any form, you know, you now have customer excellence and sales ops and sales enablement. And so I think there's been so much slicing and dicing of the sales onion that I'm not surprised that survey a broad cross-section of even commercial professionals, you get their particular take. Um, and then, of course, what I thought was particularly humorous was there was actually one person who agreed with the fact that sales enablement was a fancy word for sales training. It, really, it sort of had me laughing out loud because it just kind of goes to show you, the, again, the, the breadth of understanding or even misunderstanding about what it is. So hopefully you're filling a real need here with, with a chance to kind of make clear what it is and how to best deploy it. Excellent. Thank you, Samir. Greg, how about you? I think what I noticed in the data, first of all, if you look at the, the distribution of people, everyone is more or less in sales enablement. So the answers you're going to get from that is, is from a group that envisions it to be a certain way, not necessarily the people that are employing that group, which may give you a very, very different opinion. So, you know, there's overwhelming response from the group saying it's not on the decline. It hasn't peaked. You know, it's on the rise. That's 80%. Well, of course, if you're asking a bunch of people in charge of sales enablement, they're going to say that it's on the rise, right? And they're going to say, we'd buy it, right? Not hold it or sell it. So I think a lot of the data probably led to where I thought it would end up, given given the set of people. As we kind of go through the discussion here today, you know, I do think there would be a divergent opinion if we looked at you know, what, what is it those individuals that are, again, employing them, the managers of those, those people, what is it they're getting? What do they believe they should be getting? Uh, I think you get a very bit different picture here. Excellent. So that's perfect. So, Brian, you get to comment. What are, you, what are your thoughts on what your colleague said? Yeah, I, I think, well, just to piggyback off of what Greg has just said, when you think about who your customers are in sales enablement, it should always first and foremost be the sales organization. And in that organization, you'll have different types of customers. You'll have your actual field salespeople, and you'll have your sales managers, and you've got your sales leadership team. And um, in, in each one of those, you'll have a different set of value drivers and, and enablers that you're going to need to deploy. And if you're doing that in an orchestrated way, it would be great to see what their purview or what their pers- perspective of whether or not sales enablement was a stock, would you buy it, hold it, sell it, short it, you know, et cetera. Um, because I think in some instances, you may have sales leaders say, yeah, absolutely. You're helping deploy new coaching opportunities for my managers growing their leadership skills on how to truly coach them, be transactional with their sales teams. Team members may say, I, I don't really need all that training or I don't need a new planning tool to help me figure out what my goals are going to be. I just can do things the way that I want to do them. So depending on what audience you're talking to, I think, yeah, you're going to get a wide variety of different responses to questions like this in a survey. Um, If you're looking at your core customer set as the sales organization, if you turn the other direction and you look back at the rest of the company or the enterprise, it would be interesting to see what, how they would respond to some of these questions. It's true. You're going to get, when you're, when you're pulling an audience of people who are quote unquote in the same field and discipline, you're going to get a very biased point of view. 
So both Greg and you brought up the same thing. What do you think the answers would be if you went around the horn and asked the sales leaders what they think, marketing what they think, other groups what they think? What would those answers be? From my point of view, I think initially it was like, who is this group of people who think that they need to get involved in my area? (laughs) And what I mean by that is um, sales enablement from um, IHG's point of view and the the organization we created there was this interconnective tissue and, and muscular component that kind of connected sales to the rest of the organization. So we would work with IT, with the data teams, we would work with Comp and Ben and on um, sales incentives, we would work with HR and learning and development on sales training. Previously, those groups had just said, we're doing the things that we do the way we do them. And then sales enablement came along and said, we need your help in doing this very specifically in this way for sales. Um, And you don't have necessarily the sales subject matter expertise. So let's help you understand that. And then together, let's kind of create a joint uh, approach to doing something different and better for sales, which ultimately means for our customers, and then, hope, and then hopefully ultimately mean, means for, uh, for the organization and the company. That's a hard proposition in the beginning, but ultimately I think if you were to go and survey those, in, those different uh, functions now, three, four years after we started uh, that push, you would have say 75% of them on the, the hold it or buy it. From a, from a stock point of view. Excellent. Uh, so Samira, what was your reaction to your, to your peers? No, I mean, I, they, my, my expectation that we would, we would look at it completely differently was completely met. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, and, and again, it speaks to the variety of the responses you got. As you know, Greg pointed out the fact that the majority of the respondents were sales enablement professionals, but despite that, you had quite a variety of um, of responses, meaning even even the folks within sales enablement don't look at it the same way. And I think that reflects the the difference in maturity and or the way in which it's deployed in, in every single organization. And so, I mean, really, perhaps one of the things you can get us to do uh, through the course of this discussion, Scott, is to unify, you know, you got three very different takes on the, on, on the subject right here uh, at, a, at a sponsor level. And, you know, if you could help us unify and rather help the, for the benefit of the audience, then I'd say that's value add right there. Well, thanks for escalating the expectations of my audience, Samir. I appreciate that. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tough crowd. I thought that was funny. Uh, Greg, how about you? What was your reaction to uh, hearing from Brian and Samir about their take and how are you processing it? For the most part, I'm in agreement. I think what's interesting to me as I you know look into the data it itself is where we are and where we want to be based on the questions are very different things. So I think, you know, one of the choices we could make about what is sales enablement to you was, you know, how we simplify our commercial system for salespeople and customers, right? Well, the overwhelming response was actually people believe it to be the linchpin to helping us execute our sales transformation. So I absolutely agree with the second, but I think most organizations find themselves in the first, Right. So now the question to me becomes, how do you what's that journey look like and how do you flatten uh, the learning curve, if you will, to get there? I, you know, I, I really I really like the way that this was put together. And I would encourage you uh, and, and your team as you continue to do this to solicit from 
again, that next level up, you know, as you talk about who should sales enablement report to, I, you know, I have some pretty strong feelings on that one, but I, I would reach out to that group and, and marry the data together and see what it is. Because if you've got a group of sales enablers, uh, however, you know, however that title uh, finds itself to be constructed, I think it's one direction. Um, and then this other group comes back and says, no, that's absolutely not what I, I think it needs to be. You know, the position can quickly devolve into one of the others was, which was a fancy word for sales training, right? In the absence of value or, or true enabling, people are going to think it's, you know, we're a couple of decades behind where we are now and where we're trying to go. I think a lot of people get hung up today and it's important, but in data and information and thinking technology, while again, it is very important that we we transform ourselves into digital. It's not everything, right? It is a data point or a series of data points, but then we have to uh, figure in the humanity behind what it is that we're trying to do and how do we then enable professionals. Salespeople across an organization are very different. You have the 10% or whatever number you want to pick. We can argue if it's 20 that are always going to be top performers. You got 60 or 70 in the middle, right? And you got the lower end. So who is it you want to reach and what's the best way to do that? And, and I think getting those two groups together um, and marrying that data up would make a lot of sense. Awesome. Great. So it sounds like let's focus on where we agree. It sounds like we agree that if we were to look at this data set five years ago, it's a lot more congealed, but yet not congealed enough uh, to really get behind as a, as a true profession. Is that a statement that we can agree with? I think that's fair. Tamir? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Then the uh, second statement would be in this mix and as, as we're changing, probably we want to find pockets of value and anchor on there and build from there. That's, that's something else that I heard. I actually, I teased this out of what, um, what Brian was saying about how he put together his, put together his group, you know, pockets of, working with, say, compensation or pockets of working with marketing or the other departments. Would we agree with that? Makes sense. Agreed. Okay. So those, are, those would be two things that uh, we agreed on. And the third thing would be, if you are going to do a program like this, it's probably pretty important whether we were to keep doing the study. So Greg's suggestion was, why don't you do this study and ask sales, different sales groups? Why don't you do this study and ask executive sponsors? Why don't you do this study and figure out what the suppliers might think about that? Those would be all interesting things that we, we could go do. But if you're going to run a department like this, you should probably do your own scores. You should go and ask these kinds of questions to all of your different constituents to, to make sure you're really clear on the value you're adding. Is that something that we agreed on? I said it, so I'm in, Scott. You know I'm in. <laughs> Here, Brian? I, I could I could get there. Yes, yes, yes. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Question number two. And Samir, you're going to be the first person to answer it. What was your favorite question asked in the survey and why? I'm trying to think here. My favorite question. I guess it, had, it would have to be, which business strategy should sales enablement follow? With the options being an innovation path or an operational excellence path. So that was my favorite question. And as far as why... My answer would be both. And so I would struggle to answer the question. So I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, personally bipolar in this particular matter anyways. But um, <laughs> I think it, it speaks to mindset, right? So the folks who are doing it one way or the other are likely to answer with that in mind, just as Greg said earlier that folks in the function believe it's on the rise because 
Well, you're never, you're never, you're never going to vote yourself out. And so I, I think it could be both, and it really speaks to the maturity and life cycle in which sales enablement finds itself in a given organization. Well, Samir, is it possible that some people also struggled and they had, you know, this was one of those questions that they had to answer. Add a little bit more about where you think it's both, but describe that. Okay. So, I mean, I think if you, if you look at the elements of what sales enablement is, right? And, and so at the risk of being reductionist, there's three elements, people, process, and technology. So it could, depending on where you are, so if you, if you have a, a highly functional and well-trained sales force, then it's really being used to innovate because they've got the OPEX side of the house you know, well covered. On the other hand, if you're, if you're sort of lagging in technology, if I look at the use of digital Ecolab, it's very advanced versus say a commodity business like ours where we're sort of catching up, you know, and I mean, I've been really impressed by some of the stuff that Greg has posted on LinkedIn on, on water technology and water monitoring that Ecolab is actively doing. I mean, it's just, it's flat out amazing. So for us, it would be the technology deployment side of, of sales enablement would be what I would call very operational, trying to get everybody bought in and doing the basic blocking and tackling. Whereas at Ecolab, it's, it's on the innovation side of their journey. So let me take a pause there. In fact, I invite Greg to, to comment on, on my comment. So I, I agree. And we all are on different, different life cycles of our digital journey. And even within our own company, we see that, right? Whether it's our healthcare business and some of the things they're doing today, our institutional business uh, inside kitchens and restaurants and hospitality. Uh, and a lot of that is because the, you know, the customer subset's very different. So yeah, I, I think I would agree I would agree very much with what Samir is, is proposing. Awesome. Brian, what's your favorite question? Um, I kind of mentioned it a little bit already. It's my, my question about stock. Uh, I like any kind of question in a survey that forces me outside of the traditional way of thinking about something and reframes me so that I have to apply some other kind of lens to it because I know that it's going to get a little bit more from mind share from myself. And so one of the first reason is I liked it because it reframed me. The second is it made me think about enablement. Is it a business that I would actually invest in? Is it a viable business? And one of the things that I would normally think about in that regard is, you know, is there growth? Is, is it a stable business? Is there, uh, what's the management team like? What kind of experience do they bring to the table? And I'd want to do my research on a, a stock before I make a decision on whether I'm going to buy it, hold it, sell it, or short it. Um, so to me, it was what, where is, is sales enablement on, on its journey and its evolution? And would I consider it a viable business? Which I do. I do think it's a, it's a buy it uh, stock because it, it has to have value and you have to be able to articulate that value back to your stakeholders, just as we were talking about earlier, whether that's the sales force or the, the enterprise or the organization you're working for. And I think it's critical to be able to kind of think of yourself as that business in a business model that we've shared at the executive board um, and, and kind of work through multiple times so that we understand exactly what's the, what are the value drivers, who are we really servicing, and, uh, and who are our shareholders. Mm-hmm. For context's sake, I think this would be good to add color for our audience. 
Now, I don't know whether or not you guys are going to remember all this, but we had a meeting at Tiffany's, and we opened up that meeting. We had breakfast at Tiffany's. Wait, wait, wait. We had breakfast at Tiffany's, and then we had a meeting at Tiffany's. <laughs> I, we did have breakfast at Tiffany's. I, I thank yeah. you for correcting that. And we all get to brag that we all did that. Yeah. So, uh, that was fantastic. And then um, I think, uh, Greg, did you end up buying a whole bunch of uh, diamonds? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I did not. They, I definitely went and I and I looked at all the watches though, and it was a it was a pretty interesting day. That was really a that was a cool experience. So I, okay. So um, any rate, so thank you, Luke, on uh, doing that. Luke, you know who you are. All right. Anyway, in in that session, what we had is each of the different participants around the room. I made up some sort of scenario, like imagine I were a, a reporter from uh, one of the financial Wall Street uh, TV shows, and I was going to interview each of these guys as you know, business business sells enablement, and each of them had to present their, their findings. Remember that individually and how poor collectively we did? Then we did a, a, an exercise where people got into groups with a simple structure of what's your business, what's your product, who do you sell to, who are your suppliers? Those, just answer those four, four questions, and the discussion sharpened up dramatically. I think that's what we're talking about here is having a different focus and reframing it. Uh, Brian, Greg, Samir, do you guys recall that, that, that experience, and uh, can you elaborate on that a bit? I'm happy to take it. So, you know, I, I had honestly struggled, I think, before that corporate executive board meeting at Tiffany's on how to best articulate the value of sales enablement. And I would go down a couple of different paths to try to explain it um, to a layman like my parents <laughs> or to people inside of the company and forcing me and reframing me through an exercise to think about sales enablement um, as a business within a business really started to kind of put me into a framework that I could actually work through to be able to start articulating what that looked like. Ultimately, I think from that meeting, I said, I raised my hand and said, let me take this and go work on it uh, in more detail so that I can bring back what I think, how I would articulate it based on what, where IHG at the time was with their enablement journey, with the organization and capabilities that set in that organization and really identify who our stakeholders are and our products that we offer or services that we offer and how we add value. And, and that's what we um, pulled together and um, shared at the very next corporate executive board meeting. Which was at your facility in, in Atlanta at IHG. So, Correct. Greg, I yeah, know we you yeah. were there. So what, what, how did you take away from what Brian presented? So Brian presented basically a letter to shareholders that mapped out what they were doing, and that's what, where we kicked off, and I was trying to facilitate that virtually. <laughs> so, Lord, I got so mad at you guys. Um, yeah. But at any rate, it, it wasn't obvious, Scott, that you were mad at us. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of the question. I, had. I do remember that meeting very well. And um, the two words that I would probably use to describe it were frustrating and painful, right? Not the one when we were in Atlanta, but the one where we were trying to pull together this framework. And I think it was because we all had in our head what we believed enablement to be but it was really hard to create something tangible that we could all agree to. Um, and so giving it some framework was good. I thought, Ryan, I thought your consultant background, when you pulled together the letter to shareholders, um, I was very impressed with that. Um, 
And I, and I think part of what our challenge was when we were trying to pull it together, you know, I, I kind of commented on Samir's favorite question earlier. It goes, goes even further upstream to what was, you know, my favorite question, which is so simple, but determines so many other components is who should sales enablement even report to, right? I mean, if you don't have that aligned from the beginning, I don't think you're going to have access to the right people or the right resources um, or be able to, you know, getting something quantifiable or back to the, the word tangible to a group on something like sales enablement, it will devolve into, you know, that sales training thing that we were talking about a little bit earlier. If you don't have the right ability to merchandise in the right places and ask for uh, the right resources. So, um, I, you know, I think we probably, if I was redoing that meeting, would have backed up a little bit further and gotten to some of that. And then, uh, but even then, it, it was surprising to me to see what a challenge it was to get a bunch of people who were fairly like-minded. We may not all agree that the outcome, you know, how we get to that place, some people might be heavier based in digital, which again, I think is important, but we had representatives from major companies that their world is digital, Right. And so that that gives you a yeah. lot of, uh, you know, they would lean towards that like a sales enablement professional would lean towards, you know, saying this is uh, on the rise and I would buy the stock. Excellent. The meeting that you're referring to is the one at Tiffany's, not the one when uh, that uh, that Brian sponsored. Yeah. Although that's when the letter to shareholders came out that, that you were referring to that I think yeah. Brian did really nice. You did really. really nice. I was excellent. I want to go around and brag on him on a soapbox and say, look how good this is. Thanks. Anyway, so Samir, you were at the IHG meeting. What was your experience with the, the letter of shareholders and you know, what kind of clarity um, helped you? I think that was a home run. I mean, Brian just knocked it out of the park, and uh, I was just glad to be part of the supporting cast. I mean, I think it was awesome. In fact, I just pulled it up to look at it. I love the page in which he sort of summed up the three performance keys. When you, when you look at, you know, it's one of the, one of the debates we're having here – the debate beneath the debate, if you will, is is the perceptions and the perspectives of different people. I mean, I think you had sponsors there the, that helped Brian put the story together, and then you had Brian's sponsors. And I think at the end, you really had what I think was a dream come true, which is everybody aligning around the fact that the message was spot on, the, the expectations were spot on, and that we should go make this happen. As in, Brian was given the green light, as best I could tell, to to go do what he proposed following the two days of, uh, of work that we did together as a team. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So it's one of those messages I think we'd all agree. It takes a lot of work to make something simple. Yes. It takes a tremendous amount of work to make something simple. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't appreciate is that sort of the value add of sales enablement is to simplify a complex environment. If it's already complex, you have to put a tremendous amount of energy to rationalize it and make it simple, which is in maybe different muscles than what you're used to if you're thinking about this as a, a traditional siloed role. Is that fair? Absolutely. Fair. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to our last part, which is the crystal ball part. What I'm interested in doing is based on what you know here and based on what you know about the business problems, and this is where, Greg, I'm looking forward to more strong opinions about where it should report to, all those things that you've alluded to earlier on. We want to hear them in, in the forecast. But I want your crystal ball of where does sales and anyone go from here? 
So, Greg, you get to go first. Dust off the crystal ball. Tell us what you see. All right. Um, so let me see. Where, let me tell you where I, I think it should go. So in, in terms of reporting, I think we're all real quick to say sales enablement should report to sales, whether that be because of relationship or insights or, or what, you know, what have you. And, and I'm personally a bit of a contrarian on that one. I, th- I think, uh, and having led large sales teams for long periods of time, you know, that, that required me to put my sales hat on the side for a second and try and understand how do I get the most out of a sales enablement role so that my team performs better. And I almost see it as getting the most value if it is a almost a, a COO role in terms of a business unit. So I report to the senior vice president or general manager, if you will. And I believe uh, that that role reports there. And, and for, a few, for a few reasons, one, it gives them a little bit of insulation and a greater ability to push back on things to make some calls. It also gives them the ability to get some resources and merchandise a little bit more where they're headed. It allows them to have access to the higher level strategic thought that they can get some response to maybe what it is that they're planning. It gives them access to different verticals as they ask for that from that person that maybe they wouldn't get if they were just sitting inside a a function, whether that be time with your research and development group or time with marketing or time with finance by, by changing where they sit inside the hierarchy. I think it opens up a whole new world for them to be able to leverage different tools. I, I see this position very similar to sales in the future, whereas the individuals that are really good at it are going to be worth their weight in gold where they know how to balance the digital. They know how to balance the people. They know how to achieve you know, I mentioned earlier sort of the bell curve of sales, whether it's 20, 60, 20, or 10, 80, 10, the top salespeople always figure out a way and they always sell a lot. So how do you get that middle bandwidth? How does sales enablement allow you to get the most out of your middle hitters in the, in the batting lineup? And, and I believe by changing the way that works, I think those people, again, that are worth their weight in gold are going to be able to elevate their value in the organization and getting access and leadership from that more senior role that sits outside of sales. If I had a crystal ball or I was able to construct it myself, that's exactly where I'd put it and how I'd put it and the reason that I would put it there. Okay, so Brian, you're next. I see, uh, where is it all going in the future? (laughs) I see um, a, a real need to be even clearer on how we articulate value and the amount of stuff that we expect our salespeople to do and to achieve. I mean, they have external complexity from the competition. There's more products, there's more solutions, um, more, 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 more process on the inside. So the in- internal complexity is continuing to get bigger and greater and, and harder to navigate. And their company's own products are getting complex shorter cycle times to get to products to market. Um, There's a lot of complexity that we put on salespeople to understand and be able to go out and and sell where they used to be able to focus on kind of core selling activities around account strategies, relationship mapping, knowing exactly how the money flows to the companies and how to, to get to a yes and create kind of a collaborative based sale with all the various stakeholders who have to be involved. Um, And I think that, the ability to articulate the value of less to a big company like an IHG or an Ecolab or um, you name it is not easy. 
And I think you have to be able to really understand what you want your impact to be. Is it customer impact? You know, is it, are they adopting your products or services? Are they successful with those? Are you innovating with your customers? Is it, is it retention? I mean, those are things salespeople need to be really focused at. Is it financial impact of the sale? Is it driving revenue and how profitable that revenue is? Is it the market impact? Or, you know, I always think that sales needs to be at the front, leading and feeding, quote unquote, feeding the enterprise. Um, I like kind of sometimes to say kind of feed the beast to drive the market share and the place in the market. Is it the employee impact? You know, if we're continuing to throw more and more stuff at salespeople and we don't take the complexity out of it and make it simple, ultimately you'll have trouble retaining your, your superstars. So the ability to really start to describe the value of less to your enterprise, to product marketing, all the way down to technology and digital, what we put on our salespeople, it needs to be filtered through this kind of sales enablement lens to say, is it seller ready? And how does it stack up against their business as usual activity that they've got to keep going? It's high value and drives impact versus is it just stuff we're giving them? which I then think kind of parlays into what, what, and if you would have asked me this, this question or if I would have listened to Greg say, I think we should reconsider potentially where it reports in the future, I would have been like, nah, probably not. <laughs> it belongs in sales. How could you, you know, it needs to be as close to sales as possible. But I actually um, have turned a corner on that. And I'm much more open to this idea of changing where it should report. Because I do believe, as Greg has highlighted, and I won't repeat all of his points, but it requires greater functional sponsorship across the organization to truly be able to show that overall impact, whether it's financial or employee or, or market impact. It's got to have be- bigger, better sponsorship than just sales. Because right now there's stuff in the way that's, you know, sales and marketing alignment, you know, my priorities versus your priorities on the inside of, of these companies, my budget versus your budget, my headcount versus your headcount. It's got to get to a place where the competition should be safe for outside of the company with our actual competitors than our internal teams trying to demonstrate their own value and shoving too much stuff towards our salespeople. Um, so I think that's a big piece of our ability to describe the value of, of less when all we want to do is more and, and really changing the sponsorship across the organization so that that can be accomplished. And then the only other thing that I'd, I'd mention is I think the skill set of sales enablement, enablement people and what we're looking for needs to, we need competencies. We need really strong competencies between people who will be effective in these roles versus not. And I think there's a whole other conversation that could be had on that. I'm because ask I, you right I, now I, what I, would be some of those competencies because that's come up. <laughs> I, I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, if you ask me a follow-up, I need to, I don't know if I have any ready. Um, you know, I, I think that um, you need to, to have people who are goal-oriented and what I mean by that is that they're present for every step of the journey because they can see a bigger picture. They aren't leading through direction. They're leading through influence. They're not results-oriented people who are just showing up for what they think that will get them what they want, that are kind of closed off to any other way than their own. Those are kind of results-oriented people. They're about their results, right? The goal-oriented people have a tendency to kind of create a positive energy and will are will be open to and have empathy to the way that other people are doing business inside of their own company and try to chart a a different path by establishing a stronger level of network in their own company and then building some performance out of that. So aligning them, enabling them, creating networks, 
that are all going to be towards a goal, that goal-oriented, bigger picture, along for every step of the journey. Because that type of leadership is more about influence than control. And it's also more indirect than direct form of leadership. So it, it requires leaders um, kind of create this work environment based on autonomy and empowerment, and trust and sharing. So, you know, I, those are a lot of fun words that we love to toss around, but there are people who, who get that and they've come from varying backgrounds in sales in sales and marketing in sales and product in sales and marketing and, 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 and they, they can see a bigger picture because they can see the interdependencies of what it takes to make something work. Brian, that was phenomenal. So first of all, I appreciate that I put you on the spot. The good news is this topic came up in our sales practitioner or sales enablement practitioner, not L and D what the competencies are out of that is let's make a, a list of companies right now. And I think what you provided is a lot of color that every single one of them would, would agree with. So the fact that you just did that in a stream of consciousness that mapped to uh, what that other panel said shows that there's something there. And I think that's pretty amazing. So thank you for, for doing that. Brian Lambert and I have to figure out how to put that into some sort of structured deliverable to get people to react to. That's our problem, not yours. Okay, so we're at with you, Samir. How do yeah. I follow that? I, I know, but that's... Yeah, so, yeah. well, I'll tell you how I'm going to follow it. <laughs> please, please. I, I'll tell you how I'm going to follow it. Um, I think I, there, there, were, there were two ideas, and so this is really just, I mean, you know, the benefit of going third is you get to steal from two people that went before you, which is precisely what I'm going to do. So the, 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 first, the first idea that I, that I really resonated with, which was just stated by, by Brian very clearly, that I must say until he said it, I, I don't know that I fully appreciated the difference myself, and that's the goal orientation versus results orientation. And so to, to, to continue to steal from Brian, I mean, I just pulled up that work of art that he produced uh, back in Atlanta, and, and it's, really, it, it's really this, and it's, you know, what, what do we mean when we say goal orientation? And, and he has, on the very last page of, of the document, unlocking the value of sales together. And I think, and so to, to, to just repeat what he did already say for the sake of emphasis, right? So it's, you, you're, it's about combining. And what do we mean by together? You're trying to really harmonize into an orchestra or just as an orchestra would sales ops, sales effectiveness, sales delivery, performance, uh, measuring performance and, and, and gaining insights. And then, of course, the, the communication and, and uh, Marcom activities, product management, and ultimately even strategic marketing, right? So all of those things need to be playing in concert, right? And so it's really about, and, and so it's the role of sales enablement to act as the conductor of the orchestra. And the second idea that I want to steal from is what Greg referred to very early on, and it's, you know, it's about fantastic salespeople doing fantastic work. And really what makes them fantastic is the fact that they have an extraordinary ability to connect and understand what the customer wants. And that's really what, so the tip of the spear actually as a Houston resident, for me, it's the, it's the Saturn V. And I think that, that that thing is marvelous no matter how you look at it. And so, you know, those are the guys in the command module, but are they the ones who are flying every stage of that Saturn V? The answer is no. There are four other stages which they may or may not actually be flying and that could be done from, from uh, mission control in Houston and, and different, different groups within mission control. And so it's, 
it's bringing that together. And I think sales enablement is that glue that allows you to bring those five stages and allow us to, to sort of land on the moon and come back safely with, with, a, with computer power that's less than what we have in our iPhones. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the marvel of the, the achievement there. And so um, all of this to say, to say what, right? Which is if we can create this level of functionality, then, then where would that, which is the second part of your question, you know, form needs to follow function. And so, you know, I guess I'm, I'm sort of agreeing with both Brian and, uh, and, and, and Greg when, when I say, I don't think it needs to report into sales, but I believe, you know, there's a, it's not, it's not new anymore, but the role of chief commercial officer, right? That's a role that embodies all aspects of, of commercial. So, you know, sales, marketing, product management, basically everything driving the, the front end of, the, of an organization that faces and or interacts and or in some meaningful way touches the customer. That's, that's my thought, Scott. That's great. So normally at this point in time, what I'd be doing is summarizing all your answers. Samir did that a good job of that for us already. What I wanted to do is all of you guys are very fascinated by serendipity. I don't know if you saw in the, in the meeting response or the, the survey responses, somebody wrote mission critical. You know, what business would they be? The rocket thing like that? Oh, mission control. Mission control. So, Samir, what's interesting about that is the person who wrote that response was actually one of our panelists. So we didn't know. So uh, Siobhan Thatcher, that was her response. She went on uh, talking the metaphor, and I said, I sat in that dude's office, your office, I was referring to um, as Samir, and he had almost the exact same metaphor. How is that possible? So out of all the answers, you, you, we all saw all the answers, uh, consulting, 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 professional services, but not yeah. mission control. You've doubled down on that, uh, on that metaphor, and she had the exact same one. I think that's fascinating. How do you, what, do you, what do you think of that? Well, I, I mean, I think if you've, if, you've been, if you've actually been to NASA and seen the Saturn V, and and sort of if 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 you're if you're impressed by what you saw and then choose to reflect on that experience, I think you, you can connect it to to just about anything complex that's that's been harmonized into something simple and effective. And that's that's what I love about that's why for me the Saturn V is such a great metaphor. So I'm going to ask a, uh, another. This is a off the cuff question for all of you guys. First of all, this was a fantastic panel before I turn it over to uh, Brian Lambert for the, for the summer, summary. But I think there's something really important here about mindset or the lens with which you look at this particular problem. So something that uh, Brian King mentioned earlier on that, that you touched on as well, I think Greg uh, mentioned it as well, is we have to think of solving this problem through a different lens. That's part, that's part of the reason why uh, Brian, I put you on the spot of saying, what are some of those characteristics? I'd like Greg to put you and Samir on the spot. Can you describe some of those other characteristics? What are the characteristics that's common across all of you guys so that we can help our listeners develop the, the you know, sort of the right mindset? Because I think we all agree we're not going to solve this complex problem looking at it through the same siloed lens that we've been tackling it. So if we could just get, you know, to comment a little bit, maybe Greg, I'll ask you first. 
what are some of the characteristics or traits required uh, to be able to pull something like this off? You know, I, I think what we have to, I think the first thing the person has to do is realize that it's about getting the best idea. And Scott, you and I talked about this the other day. I, I've always managed this way. I, I, when I get into a room full of my direct reports, it's not about whether or not I have the best idea. It's whether or not the best idea leaves that room, right? And I think that the right sales enablement professional needs to be able to create the conversation. They don't need to be an expert in any one thing. They don't need to be you know, the best corporate trainer, which I think a lot, a lot of times ends up being someone they say, okay, well, you know, they should be in charge of sales and enablement because they're a great sales trainer or something. I, I don't think that's where we need to go with this, right? I, I think you need someone who gets along with people who can work across various functions, who knows how to manage up well, where I, I believe that position should be uh, reporting and knows how to accomplish a set of outcomes through an organization that does not report to him or her, right? That nuance type relationship and really having that, you know, that outcome of where the, the team says, oftentimes we can well, I need to have this report to me because I'm the expert on whatever the subject is. No, what you actually need is you need an individual who's going to go out there, think with a diverse perspective and bring you back things that change you and change your game and cause you to expand um, your, your own thoughts and your own horizons. And then the two of you together will start to be symbiotic and you can get to something that neither of you um, was going to get to on their own, right? To al almost in a synergistic fashion. But I, but I think that person needs to be able to listen. I need, I think they have to have a, be almost a chameleon in nature. And I, and I don't think they need to be an expert in it, in any one discipline, but in the ability again, to leverage uh, a relationship matrix that gets everybody you know, to the win in the end. That got me fired up, Greg. <laughs> How about you, Samir? What what would you what would be characteristics that you you'd need to look for and say? I mean, at, at the risk of at the risk of uh, repeating what Brian already said, that uh, I mean, I think he summed it up really well. The first one is goal orientation versus results orientation, and I think I you know I never realized or actually appreciated fully how a result orientation makes you slightly more myopic or actually narrows your field of vision, um, which I don't know that, that if, we're, if we're aspiring to be business leaders, that's the way to go. And I mean, so that's a personal development thing. Uh, so that's one. Secondly, and probably, uh, I mean, a subject that we're all, we've heard a lot about, meaning it gets a lot of lip service, but perhaps not enough it's not as, as visible in action is leading, leading by influence versus leading by authority. And so I think, I think it's for, for an effective sales enablement professional, you need to be willing to be influenced in as much as you are willing to influence and able to do the same. And I think, so those two I'd say are for me the, the, the top two. You know, and then again, it's uh, the ability to, to look at the world from the, you know, to influence someone, you need to be able to speak their language and look at the world through their eyes because then they know you're not trying to sell them some snake oil or you're actually trying to appreciate their perspective. So th those are my top three. And thank you, Brian, for supplying the top two. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> awesome. 
So I'm going to turn it over to Brian Lambert for uh, for wrap up. Uh, Brian's Brian Lambert is responsible for summarizing put, uh, put, putting together a deliverable out of this. So, uh, Dr. Brian Lambert, how about you share your your summary? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. So, guys, what I'll do is I'm going to ha I have three key points that I've I've synthesized out of this discussion. So I will, re you know, basically read it off. Uh, give you a little background, then you can agree or disagree. And I'd, I'd love you guys to, to each weigh in because I want this to be uh, met with your uh, seal of approval before I publish it. So the first, the first theme here is, is where we just ended up, and it's this idea of articulating the value of doing less with other people. So articulating the value of doing less is where it started, but the more you guys talk, it's you got to do less with others. And that's a huge, huge mindset shift uh, that I think you guys are calling out here. So what, what's your th take on, on that theme? Articul sales and ailment leaders to be successful need to learn how to articulate the value of doing less with other people. And I, I'll start with you, uh, you, Greg. Would you agree with that? Or what? I, I, maybe I misunderstood. Articulate the value of doing less. Can you, uh, maybe it's a semantic thing. Can you clarify that for me? Yeah, sure. Brian had a great discussion about doing less and the value of simplification and actually combating the do more mentality. So I'm keying off of that to say, you know, what's the value of doing less, but doing the less with the other people in product, marketing, sales groups. That's a theme that you guys really discussed here at the end. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And Scott, you know, Scott kind of started it. That's, that's where I let, we are really good as at organizations at making things complex, right? Building, taking the simple and making it complex because we think there's a value in there. And then we actually end up hurting the organization because no one can figure out how to articulate exactly what it is that we've done. Right. So I, I am all for simplification or said another way. Yes. Doing less. Yeah. How about you, Brian? You said it, so hopefully I got that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say it's definitely, um, and I, we, I won't get into, to some, I guess, the semantics, but it's definitely about sales enablement helping um, the company realize that for our salespeople, we have to help them do a, a little bit less of um, all the stuff that we throw at them. And how, just like Greg has said so beautifully, like, it, hey, we, we, can, we make this so much more complex when it doesn't necessarily have to be. So I don't want to make it sound like we have to do less with our, our, our uh, with our business partners across the organization, but it's about helping them see the value of less, like kind of like less is more, um, when it comes to the impact our sales organization is supposed to have on behalf of the business. How about you, Samir? A, a ton of the things we're doing are are just accoutrement, right? Where we're at, we've accessorized the hell out of everything. So, you know, I mean, most of the more is just dead weight or it's actually not making you or the organization more aerodynamic. It's actually less so. So, I mean, I think less is more. The question is, how do you, how do you establish a, a process wherein you actually select those items that, that truly add value versus the accessories? I think yeah. that, that's really where the magic is. Yeah, I love it. That's where the mindset you know, having a broad perspective, the mission orientation um, or goal orientation, having people that are, that, are, that are trying to achieve the same thing as opposed to achieve their thing comes in. Yeah. 
It's a double down mentality, right? Yup. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So my second theme that I'm pulling out from you guys is it takes a, a hell of a lot of work to make something simple and you've got to do the work to simplify. And that, that requires a different type of, of muscle and it requires a, a different type of effort and work, but somebody's got to do that. And that's the second theme. So uh, Samir, what do you think about that theme? Embrace the fact that it takes a lot of work to do something simple. Absolutely. I mean, try to try, try to put in a think of an idea, right? If I if I ask you to, to express yourself, you know, in a thousand words, you know, maybe you could do so in five hundred. If I ask you to express an idea in a sentence, you'll need a day to think about it. Yeah, Mark Twain. <laughs> if I had more time, I would have wrote a shorter letter. There you go. Yeah. Brian, what are your thoughts on that? It takes a hell of a lot of work to do something or make something simple. Um, uh, well, I agree with it. Um, I uh, just this morning was talking with um, a, a client at Novartis who's in the product marketing, and they acknowledge that 90% of what they will build out for the sales force will stay in the trunk. And I said, well, well, then why are you building the 90%? Why are you even going to make them go through a training on it? And why are you going to, you know, all these other pieces that, that you know that they're not going to use? And he said, well, that's not my department. And that's, uh, that's their department over there. And they've got people and they've got the budget. And so that's what they want to do. Hmm. And so well, there's right there, there's, a, there's the problem. And this is one of the reasons why I think, hey, it would be really interesting to take enablement and move it out of sales and put it into a commercial, right, plug it right into commercial. I love that idea. And, and empower it to say, hey, we're going to make sure everything is, has its purpose and reduce the complexity of it to make sure that 90% of it doesn't stay in the trunk. That's awesome. That, that you can put that what right a terrible, what a terrible investor letter. That's how you wrap it up. Let's make sure it doesn't stay in the trunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here's my quote if people listen to themselves more often they would talk less <laughs> I love it Greg anything to add on that Takes to make it simple. I worry that was directed at me <laughs> I think it was for me anyway Greg your thoughts on that uh, yeah my, my ad would be and I don't know if it's because of the type of personality um, that a lot of us who are, have been lifelong salespeople find ourselves with I mean we are we are drivers we are negotiators we are looking to go out and get the deal close right we are looking for you know what's the payday and how quick can I get it so I, I don't know how the evolution has occurred but it's a one yes I agree uh, the need to simplify is very hard but we often find ourselves when we're creating sales organizations in a much more tactical atmosphere than a strategic one. You know, and, and as people move through sales organizations because they're promoted and they were good salespeople before and they take over bigger responsibilities or what have you, you're really getting a, pulling together a five-year sales plan when, and understanding where are we going to be and why are we going to be there and what are the levers we're going to do and how does the digital work and what are we going to quite frankly rationalize? Right, I think our, our CEO does a fantastic job of putting things in perspective when he says, look, I, I decide the things, what's gonna make you rich and what's gonna kill you, 
right? What, what are those main things that you have got to go after because they are going to be the value plays that are out there? What are the things that are on the horizon that you better see them coming or you got a, you got a big problem, right? And then in the middle of the whole thing, you got to figure out, you know, while I'm putting something on the table, what is it that I'm going to take off? Because if you don't do that, you're only going to bury the sales team further. And what we often, what we often get a pro, what we often have a problem doing is we have people and, and we've all been guilty of this. We, we decide something in a boardroom or whatever that makes an awful lot of sense, but then we don't think through the full operationalizing of that concept. And then at the end we go, ah, we're 95% of the way there. And you know, the sales the sales team, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. And that's where it becomes a problem. So yeah. yes, getting simple is very hard. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Other great points. Amen. There. Yeah. Last one. And uh, this is because Greg, you know, I'm going to keep going with you. You said a great quote, which I, I resonate with, and we have to figure out the humanity behind what we do. You know, we're in a people business. We can't, rotate around the lowest common denominator, but this is knowledge work and people are doing work. So my theme there is if you as a sales enablement leader don't uh, re- recognize that your customer determines what's valuable, right? So your customer, whoever it is, <laughs> uh, you got to figure that out. But you as a sales enablement leader need to figure out who your customer is and, and realize that they determine what's valuable here. Um, that's my, my, my final theme is know the definition of value to your customer. What do you think about that, Greg? I agree. And to your point, know who that customer is. Right? Yeah. So we could spend a whole other podcast on that if, if we wanted to, but a hundred percent, you you can merchandise the wrong piece of value all day long, and then you're just going to be expensive. Samir or, uh, yeah, let's go with Samir next. Thought on that. Do you agree with that? Know the value to your customer, whoever that is that you're defining? Without a doubt. I mean, if you don't, then game over. I mean, yeah. That, that's that's the that's the that's the recipe for crash and burn. I mean, what else is what else can you get? Brian, you're good at that. Thoughts? Do you agree? Uh, I agree with it. I just want to uh, just be additive to it and say um, you should definitely know the, the customer and the value. But sometimes, you know, well, Henry Ford said it. Um, if I asked them for what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So sometimes they don't always know exactly what it is they need. And um, then it becomes incumbent some, it becomes incumbent on sales enablement or leadership to kind of tease that out and figure out what's next or where it goes next. So um, all I would say is that sometimes they don't always know what they need. Great. Thank you. All right, Scott, back to you. Great. So, Brian, I think we subscribe to the same quote. Rolodex or whatever, because I use that quote all the time. <laughs> Same one. I love it. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's so great. Uh, faster horses. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I mean, if you ask uh, sales VPs if, you know, some of the things that they need, they would just kind of say it's, we don't need anything. We're on good. More leads. Yeah. <laughs> More leads. What it were. Well, I don't know if that's exactly how you need it. Maybe you need lead prioritization and you need something that'll help you get to, uh, you know, a more qualified lead faster. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. That's so it I'm comes at. down to, you know, maybe they, maybe they don't know what they need. So. Right. So uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, the last c- couple questions. What did you learn about this conversation or in this call? So Brian, you're first. What did you learn today? I think your survey results confirm the sales and ena- sales enablement as a practice and a discipline is getting better in terms of more widely understood. Um, there's still a long, there's still a way to go in that. 
um, with that maturity comes a lot of, you know, heartburn and, and challenges. And what, you, what we needed out of sales enablement five, six years ago is not going to be what we need out of it um, in five years from now. And so doing this kind of work um, and pulsing against what's actually taking place and having folks like us and having um, the professors and having, you know, the, the academics, all these different, the practitioners, all these different sides kind of come together and give you this kind of triangulated view of where it is today in the snapshot in time and where it's going is pretty, um, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty dynamic and uh, I kind of nerd out on some of this stuff. So it's kind of confirmed to me that it's moving, it's maturing. Um, I don't know how, if you had to give it a, a, a number of like how you're, how old it is today um, as, as though it was a person, if it's still a child or if it's an adolescent or if it's a teenager, I mean, maybe it's in that tween position. I don't know. Um, but it's, at least it's maturing. And so for me, it's, um, a positive, it's optimistic, and it's great to know that someone is trying to help move that maturity along. Awesome. That was great. Greg, how about you? What did you learn today? I learned that Samir really likes Brian's ideas, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, no, in all seriousness, um, and it's good to talk to you all again. It's been far too long. I, I think... I've learned the importance of the skill set of the individual that you put into the sales enablement role and being diligent with, you can't settle. You, you can't settle with this because of the need to work across the function. You know, having everybody understand that what's the most important thing, getting the business to be, um, and that might not look the same for every group of individual, and that's okay, right? So the need to really probably define a charter for an organization around what is sales enablement, what is in that scope, and what is not in that scope. And I think we're better able to um, articulate the who and the what than we were. I think a next step is also what does, what does sales enablement look like if it is successful? That's what I'd like to spend more time on is it's really quick to run and say, well, if sales grow by X then, right? Well, you know, we can have the whole correlation causation, you know, discussion at some point if we want to do that. But how do you, how do you understand? Because sales enablement might be a two or three, a five-year process on a roadmap. And how do you mark stones along there, which aren't necessarily launching programs or things like that. But how, but how do you actually get to that value is paying off with a, with a quantifiable metric? So um, that's something I'd like to, like to dig into further. Awesome. So Samir, you are the anchor man here. Bring yeah, us home. Yeah. What did you learn? Well, I saw a lot. Um, but for starters, I think, Again, it's, it goes back to the, 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 the very first, the answer, well, my answer to the very first question, which I sort of saw in action, which is even, even among like-minded people um, and, and mission-oriented and goal-oriented people like Greg, myself, and Brian, you have a very different take on things. And, and at the same time, if you look at 
what we believe allows things to happen, they're very fundamental. And so I think it really starts with, with you know, leadership, direction, purpose. You know, what are we trying to accomplish and how do we align ourselves to be able to get there? And that's sort of my, probably my, my biggest takeaway, which is, yes, we all have different ideas on, on what may be the most important, but would we think different if we, if we were to redirect what we're trying to accomplish collectively versus what we're trying to accomplish individually? And so again, it's that, yeah. it's that evolution of mindset that comes from looking at a, looking at a goal bigger than my goal. I mean, if we can, if we can align around what is our goal, which in this particular case is a, is a deeper understanding of the present and future state of sales enablement, then I think you, you kind of, you start with first principles. Now the challenge is to always keep those things, have that be your North star, because if you lose that, then, then you sort of, you, you tend to go looking for, you know, goals that you can grab your, put your arms around. And that's when, that's when you have, you know, things fraying, if you will. So that, that's, that's really my big takeaway today is, you know, hopefully our, our organizations have the kind of leaders who not just appreciate the value um, of sales enablement, but that it's, it's really designed to act as the glue for what is a, an absolutely mission critical uh, aspect of the organization, which is sales itself. And, you know, how do we, how do we get a better understanding of our customers and how we can win with them. That's outstanding. So we're going to wrap this up. That That's a great way to, to, to close this out. So Insider Nation, now you've heard. This is our sixth panel that you've heard from, ranging from sales enablement subject matter experts who talked about a lot of the context and the details. And then we heard from sales leaders who talked about what their expectations are and really universally said, you got to step up and lead. We heard from uh, two sets of practitioners. Uh, one group of practitioners was very much about how these things all interconnect and really, I guess what they were really finding out is what kind of language to describe the stuff in the middle, this, uh, the center of the Tootsie Pop, if you will. Then we had a, a, another panel of sales and enablement experts with a L&D background. We heard different perspectives there from bringing in human learning and all of those other attributes to it. We heard from uh, we heard from university professors and uh, uh, other educators about sort of the trends and to be aware of how how much things are changing. And now, finally, we've heard from a variety of business ec- executives who are struggling with those changes right now and wanting to see a new role merge. So, please, uh, that puts a lot of pressure on myself uh, for May nineteenth. Again, I have to summarize all of these things into a cogent document and uh, a presentation that will take 45 minutes to summarize all this great work. So now I'm extremely nervous, but uh, make sure that you uh, log in, uh, register for it, and find out how well we do. Thank you so much. Thank you, panel, and happy selling. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, 
or sending them a LinkedIn request.